talking a month ago, and he was talking about how he had the opportunity to share the gospel with whole group of people, connect with non-Christians who've got new ideas of discipling, new leaders up in their faith. Um, and so it's incredibly encouraging to hear from him. Uh, so I think we're going to be incredibly blessed to hear this morning uh, just from the Word of God from him. Uh, so uh, as he comes up and prepares, uh, if you need a Bible or you don't have one, if you want to put your hand up, our ushers will get one to you so you can follow along. Good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. It's been really a good time being here in the U.S. these couple of months. Uh, This is our home church. We grew up here. I got saved here, this spot, in this room back in 1976. So uh, I have a spiritual history here. It's true, my family is here. It's so good to see friends uh, that we haven't seen in a lot of years. It's also really good to see new people, because whenever I see new people, I know that this church is alive and it's working and people are getting saved and the gospel is going on. And that is worth praise. That is worth uh, being excited about. So, yeah, sometimes I'm positive, sometimes I'm not so positive, but you try to see that whatever you do is for the Lord. You're attempting to give your best, and our God is worth our best, isn't he? He's worth the best. He's worth everything you have in the best possible way to serve him. And so for us, that means overseas, in another part of the world, on the other side of the world, 10 time zones away, trying to reach people for Jesus. I'd like you to open up your Bibles, please, to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. 2 Timothy chapter 1 is where we want to start today. And uh, this is the Apostle Paul talking to his disciple, Timothy. Timothy is a younger man, and he hasn't been in the faith and in ministry that long. But some of the things he's telling him are exactly what the church needs to hear today. That's 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 7, and the following, and I'm going to read that. Uh, For the spirit God gave us that does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, and an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted unto him until that day. When you heard me, uh, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So I'd like to focus on the first verse. That's seven. It says, for this, the Spirit of God, or the, uh, some versions are slightly different. The Spirit of God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. No fear in the gospel. No timidity. Not being afraid. Uh, this is something that the Lord is working us. Why are we not afraid? Why do we not worry about it? Why do we have power and love and self-discipline? The answer is because it's true, because it's real, because God is working in people. Uh, I'll give you an example of a, 
of a man in our church, and if you've been reading our blog, sometimes you might know who I'm talking about, but he goes by the English name of Logan. This Logan person, he is in his late 20s, and uh, he has a girlfriend who is a Christian, but not a very committed one. So they would occasionally come to our church. Logan's problem was that in, from years before, he seems to have some sort of an opening into the spirit world. He says he could sometimes see things and hear things. Uh, and he's, he's sane, but that's, that's a significant number of people that I've met are like that. And it comes also often from the family and from the culture. But he kind of liked that. But the thing is, he is getting closer to the Lord. And in more than one instance, I've seen when people like that start to get closer to the Lord, uh, demonic things start to get not so friendly. And so there was one day where he was getting to a point where he was starting, he seemed like he was starting to lose it. I got a call from his girlfriends uh, and their parents, who are Christians, by the way. I got a call on Monday morning. Now, you know, for most of us, Mondays are day off. You know, so it's Monday morning, 7.30, I get a phone call. Now, I'm always the kind of person who answers my phone. And so there they're telling me, I need to talk to him. Need to talk to him today. So, all right, good. It's a chance. So we brought him to church, and the four of us, five of us were there talking. And he was ready at that point because these things were happening in his mind. And he was hearing things. But we're telling him, you've got to believe in Jesus. Close the door to any of that stuff. Close the door to the things that, that are not of God. And he's, are you willing to do that? Yes. Are you willing to accept the Lord and uh, be born again? Yes. So we led him in a prayer to be saved. And I told him, you cannot ever open that up again. If you sense that there's something there, you need to say, in the name of Jesus, it's closed. In the name of Jesus, I say no. Why can we do that? Because the name of Jesus is more powerful than any kind of demonic force, any po more powerful than any other religion. And uh, for some people who have an atheist background, they might think it's all junk what you're saying. But the, the fact is, the name of Jesus is more powerful than anything else that's out there. And so through the name of Jesus, he was saved, and he was growing in the Lord. He lives about 50 kilometers, 30 miles from where we live, so he could not really become a member of our church, but I was privileged enough to lead him in preparation for baptism, and he was baptized last Christmas, so we're happy about that. Uh, he lives far away, but the Sunday that we were, the last Sunday we were in Taiwan, before we came here, he came to our church. He hadn't been in our church in a while, so just so happy to see him growing in the Lord. And he said, you've got to keep that door shut, no matter what it is. Follow the Lord. So uh, this is the way, this is why, one of the reasons why we believe, because God is working in people's life, lives, and he is working in him. He's growing in the Lord. I'd like to tell you another example about the power of God. That's why we are not afraid. That's why we, have, we can speak boldly. You know, you know that my wife, Kathy, has MS, and... Um, it's been progressing over the years. So about two and a half years ago, uh, about three years ago, last time we were here in the US, uh, she was starting to have some pain in her shoulders. Not sure why, but it was getting worse and worse. It started actually, I think, around the time we were here. And by the following year, in March or so, about six months, it was worse and worse. It was to the point where when I would help her to take her shirts off, it was always pain. And the way Kathy is, she always like, <laughs> like that. So if I'm knowing if I take her shirt off in the wrong way, then I hear this, ah, 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 her pain. That's the way she do it. She did it. Um, so 
uh, we didn't know what to do. And uh, it's hard to find uh, physical therapy to help. So we didn't know. It turns out that there was a three-day seminar that they asked me to translate. There was an interesting story. A Chinese, an ethnic Chinese man who left Cambodia when he was eight came here to the United States. So he's a Chinese man who cannot speak Chinese, and here's me, this white guy, speaking Chinese. So he's up there talking English, and here's me, Jiang Zhongwen, you know, I was talking to Chinese. So uh, it was, everybody laughed too the first time when they heard me talk. But um, this man is a beautiful servant of God, and he helps people with inner healing, and also sometimes physical healing. So at the end of this conference, there was a day, he said, does anybody here need some kind of healing? And there were about 200 people in the audience. So uh, a lot of people raised their hands. So in his very simple way, he just said, in the name of Jesus, be healed, basically like that. And then he said, did anybody feel anything? So I translated that. I saw about two or three people raise their hands. That's it. One of them was Kathy. And uh, I thought, what's this now? So after it was over, I asked her. She said, my right shoulder feels good. Gone. Pain was gone. That night, and I remember writing it down, 11.57 PM, uh, we were about to go to bed. I was at my desk. She was in the bed. And she said, Carl, could you pray for my left shoulder? And I thought, OK. I'll do that. <laughs> so, so normally, uh, you know, this is uh, NIV. This is my son's Bible. I don't use English Bibles anymore, so I have to find an English one when I'm here. And normally, I pray in Chinese. But that day, I figured, all right, we'll just pray in English. And I did a very simple prayer, 15 seconds. And I didn't even feel spiritual. You know what that's like? You didn't, don't feel spiritual. And, but I prayed. And then I said afterwards, so how do you feel? And then she's in her Kathy kind of a way, you know, kind of, well, I think it's okay, something like that, you know? And I thought, wow, what's this here? Because sometimes some people say they get healed or something, and it's the heat of the moment. But the next day, and two days later, and every, she was okay, and I helped her with her shirts, uh, and no more, none of that, you know? She was able to do it. And then after about a week of this, I thought, this is a miracle. God did a miracle. And, um, and you know what? It's been almost three years, two and a half years, and her pain has not returned. It was gone instantly. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and self-discipline. The reason we believe in God is because, A, the word of God is true, and B, the Holy Spirit works in real time through us, beyond us, bigger than us. Uh, there was an, another story. I could tell you uh, a few, but I just want to just give you a smattering. This is an older one, something I never wrote about. Uh, maybe 10 years ago, uh, there is a, a ministry to Thai migrant workers that our mission is connected with. And uh, so these people are from Thailand, and they live in Taiwan for a few years under a contract, and then they go back to, Thai, to, to, Taiwan, to Thailand. So they make some money in, in Taiwan, they go back to Thailand, they buy a house, basically is what it is. So uh, sometimes I would attend the meetings on Sunday nights. And I would go to the last half hour or so. I didn't understand what they're saying. But it's kind of nice to be just looking at a ministry that I'm not involved with. You know, I have my Chinese language church. And to just to, to see it, because I used to pay the bills in those days. And there's quite a lot of money going to the Thai ministry from the German end of the mission. And it's nice to see that it's not just money out the door. It's human lives. It's beautiful to see. So anyways, I did that about once a month. 
So I, I came one day, and then the next Sunday, I just had this feeling, I, I want to go again. I don't know why. I wanted to go again twice in a row. The second Sunday evening, it was at a different location than normal, so I had to look it up on a map and find it, and I kind of, I, I'm fun with it. I like looking at maps, you know? Nowadays, you use Google. It's kind of boring. But uh, in the old days, it was just maps. And so I, would, I found the place, and I went over there. And then when I was there, uh, as what sometimes happens to us, uh, people who are pastors, uh, you're on the spot, and they ask you to say something, you know? So I had to say something. Uh, something, I forgot what it was. And after I was done talking, one of these Thai migrant workers asked me a question, something along the lines of, you know, our family in Thailand is, is poor and has major debts. Why is it like that? Why does God allow that? And then I just said, well, I don't know why, but I know that the, that the gift of God is right before you, and you need to reach out and take it. That's what I said. Then, through the interpreter, he said, I had a dream last night. I had a dream that somebody put a very expensive, valuable gift right before me. Now, the thing is, I've been preaching the gospel, or trying to, since I've been a teenager. But there's never once where I said the, the, the salvation is like a gift that's right before you. Why did I say it? I think it's the Holy Spirit put that in my head. I didn't feel spiritual. I didn't feel like some kind of Holy Spirit power or anything like that at that time. But the, the idea was in my head, and I think it was God who put that in there. As a result, the man got saved on the spot, accepted the Lord. A few weeks later, he was baptized, and a few months later, his contract was up, went back to Thailand. Isn't that awesome? You know, God puts things in your head. So sometimes you maybe don't know why you're saying things. Uh, you might even surprise yourself. I think it's because the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us, bigger than we are in his time. It's awesome. That's why I do it. That's why I want to go back. That's why I want to be in a place uh, where God is there. And we just sung about that. I can't remember the exact words, but yeah, that's what I feel. I want to be where God is. I want to be where he's working. And if he puts me in Taiwan or Thailand or wherever it is, I'm cool with that. That's good. So God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and self-discipline. God worked in our helper. As you know, Kathy's disease has progressed to the point where we need a helper. So one of these migrant workers, a, a woman who came from the Philippines, is at our house. And again, it's more stories with that. But she has, has a Catholic background. But I think she was searching for the Lord. Now, she's in our house taking care of my wife. And me being her boss, I can't just say, OK, we're going to have Bible studies here. I don't know if that would work. So, one day, she'd been with us for about six, eight months or so. And she started having what apparently was, I don't know, kidney stones or kidney infection or something. It got to the point where she was in serious pain. So she went to, the, to a, a local clinic, to a doctor. They gave her some pain medication. It didn't work. Well, she was putting, uh, Kathy, Kathy was already in her bed, and she was about to leave uh, the bed, to her room. And then I just thought, we should pray for her. So we did. So I said, Lorelai, do you want us to pray for you? I asked her. She said, yes. So we did. She sat down by, by the bed by Kathy. I was at my desk at about two meters away. And then I just prayed. Now, that was a time you sensed the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? It's kind of like electricity or something. And um, I wasn't touching her. She said she felt like a hand was touching her right there in the back. 
and it was a cool hand, and the pain went away. Gone. And um, a couple days later, she went back to the doctor, and the doctor, of course, didn't know what was the problem, and uh, she should be in pain. It's, there should be a problem here. Took a bunch of MRIs and x-rays. There's national health insurance over there, so it's not that expensive. But um, uh, she, all these tests in a couple, wanted to see you again in two weeks, he said. Two weeks later, she came back. No problem. And she's been fine since then. That was what convinced her to start Bible studies. So I asked her, I said, do you want to have a Bible study with Kathy and I, the three of us, in English? Because she can't really speak Chinese. She agreed. So we did that for about a half a year, Saturday mornings, 9 to 10. That's generally about the time that we would choose. So the day before Easter last year, uh, we were doing it. And we were reading the word uh, in, somewhere in Luke. And uh, she starts crying a little bit, you know. Now, when it comes to crying women, I'm used to that. It, it doesn't bother me, you know. <laughs> I, some people, they, women cry like, oh, no, did I do something wrong? You know, it's okay. It's good. Men, actually, sometimes men need to cry a little more, too. We'd have probably longer lives if we did, you know. But um, <laughs> life expectancy is like seven years less than women, you know. So, so uh, I'm, what's going on? And she said she has a sense that the Holy Spirit somehow or God is somehow speaking to her. Later on, she told me she wanted to believe, but she had a sense that some kind of voice or something is saying, no, don't believe that, don't believe that. But then this time she said she felt as if she were like in a glass jar and she couldn't hear that anymore. And she had a sense that the Holy Spirit, somehow God was somehow saying that she belongs to him, something along those lines. I don't remember the exact words. <laughs> it's awesome. God was saving her. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. Sometimes. <clears throat> awesome. So I said, the next day was Easter, and we already had planned that somebody would be baptized in our church. Now, normally, we have a bit of preparation for it, but I thought, the Spirit is working. I said, do you want to be baptized tomorrow? See what she says with that. She said, yes. Cool. So uh, she said, yes, and normally, we have our people try to prepare some kind of a written testimony. And the next morning, she had it written down. It was good. It was actually good. So um, I did. And then so she said it in English, and I translated it into Chinese. And I think it was a, kind of a, a pleasant surprise for the church to see her also get baptized. But God is working in her life and using her in ways that he's not used me. Uh, another story. Well, it's, it's got tons of stories here. Um, I'm looking at my watch not because I'm bored. Um, <laughs> so she, um, she we, we have a meeting with our German uh, missionaries every couple of months. So one day, uh, we were already there, and this couple, they're in their 30s, they walked in a little bit late, or we hadn't quite started, but they were just a little bit late. And as soon as she walked in, the wife walked in, Lorelai thought, oh, she's pregnant, I'm going to congratulate her. Well, because we, she couldn't say it right then, she waited a little while, and then her husband had a chance to share. And so in his sharing, he said, you know, they already have two children, and he said, well, uh, a couple of months ago, not long ago, my wife had a miscarriage. And then on the way home in the car, that's when Laura and I told us, you know, I really thought that she was pregnant. So I'm glad I didn't congratulate her, you know, because imagine somebody who just had a miscarriage. Oh, congratulations on your pregnancy. That would be really hard to take. Well, she did not tell me. I thought it was the Holy Spirit who told me that. But she just thought so. She didn't say why. Two months later, we have another meeting. This time, the husband was there. The wife was not. The husband 
during share time said, my wife is pregnant. Cool, you know, and she thought so, and she was excited on the way home. She says, I knew it, I knew it. I knew the Holy Spirit told me that. And then so a while later, I said, all right, let's do the math here, because I'm a rational guy, you know. So, um, <laughs> all right, at least I try to be. So, so I, called, I called them, the husband answered the phone. So when's the due date? And I figured it out. And if a pregnancy is 40 weeks, well, then she should have conceived around September 13th of last year. September 13th. We met on September 18th. So she was probably unaware that she was pregnant with her number three. God also showed her through the Spirit that it would be a boy with kind of curly hair and everything. Turns out their son was born in June, just a few months ago. So some of you might say, ah, it's 50%. But when the Holy Spirit speaks, it's different from you just making it up on your own. You know, one more quick story, and just to show that it's not always something big, but uh, I had an experience, and I haven't told my family, because I was still processing at the time, but uh, in our park there in Hillside, sometimes I go out a couple of days a week, do some exercise. So I was walking by this one building, and there were four high schoolers there. And I don't know why, but one of them kind of said to me, hi, friend. I don't know why, that's weird. So I just said, hi, you know, kind of this. And I walked on, and I did my pull-ups and stuff. And then as I was running, then I was starting to think, did I miss an opportunity? And then, so on the way back, I was thinking, Lord, what do you want me to do? I was praying, and I felt like I heard the words in my head, run around the park or something like that, the other way around. You know, there's, there's two different ways. And I thought, Lord, is that really you, or am I just making this up? I don't know, but I sensed that. All right, let's see what happens. So I did. So on the way back, it's 45 minutes later, I ran around the park. And as I'm coming closer, sure enough, there they were, in a different spot where I could see them from that location. So I just went up to them, high school kids I don't know, started talking to them. It was a really, really cool experience. And uh, so they, one kid told me that his uh, grandmother was French and he's the rest are black. And uh, the other kid was from Puerto Rico and they could speak Spanish and all kinds of things. And I said, so, and then after a few minutes, I said, so are you a Christian? And the, the kid kind of went <laughs> like that. You know? And if I was 25, I might have been thrown off by that. I might have thought, oh, he's going to think I'm some kind of a dork. You know? so, um, but, you know, I don't care if they think I'm a dork. You know? I'm in my 50s, and I'm an adult, and I speak to them in my adult way, and they speak to me in their way, and it's all cool. It's all right. And so it was just a really good conversation. I don't know what's going to happen from that, but I think it was the Lord who worked, you know. And these are little things. It's not always big, but in those two kids' lives, I was able to, to, to speak for Jesus. And I was, as I left, I said, God bless you. They didn't say anything of that. But I bet you there's not a lot of times they've heard a stranger say to them, God bless you. So it's now October 7th. Christmas is coming soon. I understand the U.S. now a lot of people don't like it when you say Merry Christmas. So, but if you buy gas and it's a Muslim guy, you just tell the guy, Merry Christmas. And if he says, I am a Muslim, I don't believe that. Um, you just say, it's okay. The blessings of Christmas are for everyone. Say that. Don't be afraid. Don't, be, don't stop blessing people because you know they're Muslims or atheists or don't believe you somehow. You bless them. Let it come from you and God will work in you and through you. So we got, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or of fear, but of power 
and love and self-discipline. The power of God is working. The word in, in Matthew and Mark 16, 16 says that uh, for those who believe, there will be signs and wonders will follow them. But signs and wonders will follow those who believe. And if there's never any signs, never any wonders, something's wrong. But if you look at the whole church, God is working in us and through us. And maybe not through you, but through other people as well. So understand, if God is working through you, if something amazing is happening through you or has happened, tell us, tell Pastor Lucas or whoever it is. We need to hear it because the word of God is powerful and God is changing people's lives. And he's using the Holy Spirit to jumpstart people's faith and to get them into it. So the Lord says that, that uh, he's not given us a spirit of timidity. In verse 8, it says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the message. The message of God is something that we need not to be ashamed of in a time where it is under unprecedented attack here in the West. If we look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, same, uh, just a book, just a couple pages over. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, uh, 4 and 5 says this, talking about, uh, talking about God who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's one God. That is our message. And in a relativistic world, in a world which is pretty much against evangelical Christians, this is something that we need not to be ashamed of. You're not ashamed. It's not wrong because the power of God is working in you. If you're a believer, you're born again. God has already changed you, and God has used you to bless other people. Therefore, it's not, there's just no shame in saying, I believe that there's only one God. Don't shy away from that. Don't hide in your own country. You need to, to speak it out and to believe it. There's only one God. The rest are fake. It's true. The rest have not uh, had their Savior die and come back from the dead like Jesus did. The rest are not able to do miracles like Christians in the name of Jesus do. The rest are not able to kick out demonic spirits in the name of Jesus because theirs is less than ours. It's a power play, and we win because God wins. So that's the reality. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't hide it. Don't just say we need to dialogue. 25 years ago, when we went to, came to Taiwan, uh, we were in a Catholic, nominally Catholic university to learn Chinese. And uh, so some, uh, sometimes they had these, call, these culture talks. And culture talks were when they had priests, they were Western priests, but who lived in Taiwan, and they would give us talks about the culture of Taiwan. And it seems like for almost all of these priests at the time, they were talking about dialoguing with Buddhists. What's dialoguing? No, you're not there to dialogue. You're there to tell them that Jesus is Lord. You're there to tell them that if, you're, if there's demons in your life, Jesus is going to save you, not Buddha or not anybody else. That's what we're there for. So we need not to be ashamed of the message of Christ. We need not to be ashamed that Jesus is the Lord. And he's the only way. He's the only way to heaven. And we believe it because, A, it's in his word, and, B, because we've experienced the things of God. And we need not to be ashamed of the suffering that, that comes sometimes. Paul, at this point, was in prison. And so the detractors of the Christian faith, well, if your God is so awesome, 
Why doesn't he break you out of jail? Why are you still there? Where's the power of God in that? And the answer sometimes is, I don't know. We don't know why uh, some things are that way, but they are. And the Bible warns us. So because of the gospel, sometimes there is suffering that results from it. Some of you know, if you become a Christian and you show up here a lot, your family might think that you've gone off the deep end. They might think that you're crazy. You become a religious nut job. Let them say it. But there's no shame in suffering for Jesus. There's no shame in because God is leading you in a certain direction, you go and do it. And other people don't understand. They don't know what's inside of you. They don't know what you've experienced. They don't know what it's like to pray for somebody and have them be healed. They don't know that. Or they deny it. But either way, suffering for Jesus sometimes happens. In Western in Canada now, uh, there's a very chilling thing that happened recently. There is a Trinity Western University, and they're a Christian organization, and they, they produce lawyers, Canadian lawyers. Turns out that the LGBT community in Canada very much dislikes them. So they were able to bring it to court that people, that because they are Christians, they, people can deny their law degree. The problem is this. The, the university has a code of conduct for all their students. And they're not allowed to lie. They're not supposed to cheat. They're not supposed to slander or steal. And they're only supposed to have sex between a husband and a wife. Now, these are normal, uh, no, normal morals for Christians. But because it's sex between only a husband and a wife, uh, it's non-exclusive. So they brought it to court. And just recently, this, the Canadian Supreme Court, by a vote of 7 to 2, said states or other provinces can deny the validity of the law degree because they are non-exclusive, because they exclude LGBT community. Now, that is dangerous. That is chilling. That means if, because the church, because the university says you need to have sex only between a husband and a wife, that means you're out. That means you can discriminate against the law degree. This is Canada today. I think it's coming here if we don't watch out. See, governments have always been against us. Uh, one of the early examples was in the book of Daniel, where the King Darius was given a proposition. The proposition, as many of you know, was that they wanted to make a 30-day rule. The 30-day rule was, if anyone prays to any god or man except through you, O king, they should be thrown in the den of lions. In other words, a death sentence. And so the king being the typical power-hungry man that he was, thought, oh, that sounds great. Let him know who's boss. You, know? you can believe in any God you want, just as long as you believe in me more. All right, so he signed it. And of course, what happened is Daniel, the godly high government official, refused to do that. He continued to pray to God, to Jehovah God, three times a day with his window open, facing Jerusalem. That's what it says in the Bible. And because of that, because he was against the law, they threw him in the den of lions. Now, this time, God saved him. And uh, he was in the den of lions, and he closed their mouths, and he survived. So God saved his life. And the king was actually happy about it. He realized that's not the way to do it. But governments throughout the centuries have been using laws, crazy laws, against us to shut us up, to stop our worship. This time in North America, these couple hundred years have been unprecedented in the tapestry of human history in that we've had freedom of religion, which means free of government control. Government is not, cannot tell us what to preach, but
but this is, seems like it's eroding, it's going away. So if you can say something about it here in the US, please say something. The, the government has no right to tell Lucas or anybody what to preach. As some of you probably know, just a few years ago in Houston, for a while, there was a lesbian mayor, and they were unhappy about what some big Christian churches were preaching, and they were against the bathroom bills and things like this. So for a while, they made a, they made a law that any of the large pastor churches needed to have their outline checked by the government before they were allowed to preach. Now, this is completely against the Constitution of the United States, and they made a loud noise, and they rescinded the order. Can you believe that's happening in the US? Uh, they have the boldness to say things like that. We need to check with the government before we can preach the word of God? Never, ever. Never, ever. And this is why we need not to be ashamed. And sometimes there's suffering that comes to it. Will it come to the point that we're, there's suffering for us here in, this, in these United States? I don't know. Kind of looks like it. But we need to prepare our minds and our hearts for that. If it happens, it's not because you're wrong. If it happens, it's not because you didn't pray hard enough. Things like that happen, but we have, got, we have a spirit, no spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and self-discipline. So therefore, we are not ashamed of the message. We're not ashamed of the suffering uh, that could happen from it. So Paul tells his disciple to hold fast. Let's look again in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, and I'm going to look at verse 11 and read there again. It says in 11, and, this, and of this gospel I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. This is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. He repeats it. No cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day. The point in 13, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So the Holy Spirit who lives in us will help us to keep the faith. He'll help us. You've got to hold fast to the teaching. Don't change it. Don't think, well, Jesus is okay, but other ways work as well. No, that's what the world wants us to say, and that's not what we say. Because it's true. The Bible is true. Jesus is alive. He's come back. His spirit is with us. He's working in us. There's reasons why we believe. Sometimes we hear the term the leap of faith. Leap of faith, actually, that term, I think, was invented by atheists to make us look stupid. A leap of faith sounds like you're at the edge of something. This is only six inches here. But you're at the edge of a cliff. And I think God's going to save me. I'm just going to leap over. And he'll save me. Makes it sound ridiculous. I see the Bible saying that we take a step of faith, one step at a time, one day at a time. The Lord knows what's going to happen, and he's going to bless you, and he's going to be with you. So the step of faith is what we need to keep going on and not let the word, uh, the word be changed, not let our faith be changed by the word of God, by, by the world, sorry. Uh, in 1 Timothy 6, just go back one page, and uh, this is where Timothy says about the same thing. 1 Timothy 6, 20 to 21. He says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some people have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. So the point here is to turn away from what is falsely called knowledge. And what does that false knowledge do? It 
makes people turn away from the faith. It saps you of your strength. And this is where I want to show you a few, a few pictures. And um, so we need to just, just look, at, look at some of these things. Nowadays, what are some of the things that cause us to lose faith? You know, in, in our culture here, there's an awful a lot of talk about aliens. People love to talk about aliens that they find in space and things like this. I don't believe anything exists, but a lot of people really do. Uh, we're trained that from the time we're young. You see there's all kinds of television shows, movies about aliens. Uh, one of our uh, German colleagues, he's in his mid-30s. When he was a kid, he said he won a Lego building contest in Germany. He was 12 years old. I asked him, what did you build? He said, an alien. So, oh, yeah, an alien, sure. Because, you know, Germans love aliens. They just come down there, and like in the movies, they park their ship, you know, half a mile above a, a big park, come down there, take pictures, autographs, back up in there. No, no, they don't know what an alien looks like. There are no aliens. But we believe it because we see it in our movies all the time. So our scientists, unfortunately, believe that too. Let's have the first picture, please. All right. So this, as some of you may know, this is the picture or drawing of the Voyager uh, uh, rockets. They were launched in the late 70s, about 40 or so years ago. They're still giving us data. They're over 10 billion miles away from the Earth. It's awesome technology. Eight watts of power, but we could still read it. So, you know, I like technology. I think it's really cool what they did. So they're getting information. But one of the things they put on, uh, next please, they put on the, in this ship is this golden plate. And in a sense, it's an address book. What it does in a very scientific way, it shows aliens where to find us. And you look at that, um, I'm serious. Uh, 14, you see the thing that looks like these, these lines. Well, those are 14 major pulsars in the universe. And they say an alien would see that and say, oh, okay, I get it. Those are pulsars. And that's where it comes from. Whoops. Okay. Um, we just go like this. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's shocked, including the, okay. So anyways. They, um, they thought that by looking at this, they will know where we are. And the, the funny thing is nowadays, people have had different ideas on that. There is somebody here who is uh, Catherine Denning, who is an anthropologist who, get this, studies the ethics of sending uh, messages to ex extraterrestrials. It's an interesting study, huh? And um, she says, in that time, the whole team did the Voyager record there hadn't been very much debate over the pros and cons of contact with extraterrestrial intelligence. Now, however, as you know, there's a major debate among scientists and a variety of stakeholders about the wisdom of doing anything other than listening. They're actually worried about it. They're actually thinking, they used to think aliens were good, kind of like E.T., you know, this kind of thing, you know, I love you, this kind of, you know. Um, they, they, they thought that. Now they think aliens are bad. And how could you tell them where we live? It's like being on vacation, and you say, and you're telling somebody where you live, and then the, the, the mom says to the kid, you told, us our, you told our address, now we're going to get robbed. You know, as if, as if that's a way that aliens are going to find us. They're going to find a rocket ship that's the size that could fit on this stage and not see the whole Earth. You know, it's so easy to find us, because if you look at that, you don't need that. All you need to see is it's going that way, that means it came from that way. Look over there. And uh, if you crunch the numbers, and I did, that uh, after one million years, it would only go 50 light years. 50 light years is a hop, skip, and a jump. So seriously, we don't have to worry 
even if there were aliens, they would find that and not see our planet, and because of that say, oh, cool, a planet, let's go rob it, because, you know, that's what aliens do. That's what all the movies are. Um, ridiculous. This, so if the rocket scientists would just stick to rocket science, we'd be okay. But because they believe things like this and put messages like that, it shows you what they're thinking. Just a couple weeks, a week ago, uh, some of you heard about this weird-shaped uh, meteor. It's 40 meters wide, 400 meters long. And this headline is just, NASA solves mystery of cigar-shaped UFO believed to carry alien life. Really? That's not even a picture. That's just a drawing, okay? It's too far away to have pictures. Who believes there's life on there? Well, nobody credible. No one could. There's zero, zero evidence. But see, this is the brainwashing that you're subject to. And if you're young, under 25 or 30, you don't know anything else. This is the way they talk. This is the way they believe. There, there's got to be life out there. Why? Well, there's, there's just got to be. Um, I know this, is, this, this uh, journal is probably light reading for a lot of you. You read this to fall asleep at night. But um, this, it's, it's called uh, Progress in Biophysics and Molecular Biology. Came out this year. Very interesting article. And it's a long article. And they deal with the problem of non-living things becoming living things. Now, at this time in life, at this point, DNA research is so much, so much improving. Every other week, it seems like there's new discoveries. So if you're young, and if you are considering a career in biology, this is the lifetime to do it. There's so much being learned. And so finally, these scientists, non-Christians, non-believers in, in creationism, they have decided that looking at the science uh, for non-living things to evolve into living things would be, as they say in their words, an event that could not have happened within a time frame of the Earth, except we believe as a miracle. Do you hear what they're saying? Non-Christians, non-believers uh, in, in creationism, looking at the evidence, being rational, being sober, understanding it is seriously too complex to evolve by itself. They're saying it had to have been a miracle. What they don't say is, but we don't believe in miracles, so they think that it came from somewhere else. Uh, external origin. The article goes on to say that they think life came from other planets. And uh, there were meteors and these other life forms, these little bugs or whatever. They were on the meteors for millions of years out in the, at out, uh, not in the atmosphere, out in space, bombarded by, by cosmic rays, but they're OK. And they came here to Earth, and then they made it through the atmosphere. You know how they burn up and all that, but a little bit of it survived. And then evolution did all the rest. Isn't evolution wonderful? You know, that's what they believe. See, that's committing intellectual suicide. They already know it's impossible for non-living things to evolve into living things. The article talks about octopuses. You know, why that? Octopuses, they say they're a problem. They can fix their own DNA. And no, nothing else can do that. And they are supposed to have come here on Earth 500 million years ago, and they just don't evolve. That's a problem for them. Not a problem for us. It's a problem for them. They don't evolve. So they think this article actually says maybe fertilized octopus eggs came on meteors, survived space, survived the crash to the Earth, and then you know evolution to the rest. This is, this is where science is today. So the science is. It, life cannot evolve. The fantasy is, so it came from somewhere else. 
Well, that's convenient because you can't prove it. So if you believe in evolution, I hope some of you are skeptics here today. I'm talking to you. Please open your mind and understand there are no options, other options than God having created things. Um, this man here, Neil deGrasse Tyson, anybody like him? Uh, he's got some TV shows, and, and he's also an astrophysicist, and he says he thinks the likelihood of a universe being a simulation may be very high. It's simulation, like the Matrix, like the movie. I'm going to say, dude, that was a movie, you know? But um, he thinks we're probably a simulation. And then he goes on, the simulators are what we will be drooling, blithering idiots in their presence. It is easy for me to imagine that everything in our lives is just a creation of some other entity for their entertainment. Did you hear that word? He used the word creation. We've been created, not by God, but by aliens who put us in a simulation, kind of like in a movie Matrix. Um, seriously? Dude, stick to science. That's what I want to say. But that's not science. He says, I'm saying the, the day we learn that it's true, I will be the only one in the room saying, I'm not surprised. He will be surprised if he doesn't change. He'll wake up, and he'll find Jesus standing there. And he'll say, I didn't know it was you. I hope that doesn't happen. But this is, this is the reality. This is the brainwashing that you're getting. So if you watch TV or you're on the internet, which is like 100% of us, you're exposed to these kind of things. Don't believe them because it's not real science. Their thinking is this. There is no God. That's the starting point for everything. There is life. Can't deny that. So therefore, God has nothing to do with life. So it must be aliens. They used to think it happened by itself, but they're realizing it's impossible for that to happen. So real science shows that life did not happen by chance. Our thinking is there is a God. And because there's a God, and we know there's life, therefore, uh, God created life. And God creating life just shows us that his real science shows God's miraculous powers. And that's the feeling. The faith says that. I remember something I say to my shame, maybe 20-some years ago. We're still in the U.S. And uh, we were in a car with my wife and Sue Green and a couple other people. And it was a really beautiful sunset. And, uh, and then Sue, in her Sue way, Sue Green way, said, oh, thank you, Jesus, kind of like that, you know. And uh, it's like a signature of God. And ascribing the beauty of the sunset to Jesus. Now, I was already a Christian at the time, and I was already a creationist. But I found that my faith was not as deep as it should have been. And I remember I couldn't say it, but I was thinking, oh, come on, Sue. That has nothing to do with Jesus. It's just nature. But now that I'm older, I'm realizing that's atheism creeping in. It has everything to do with Jesus. Jesus is the one who created it. So the beauty that you see is glorifying God. There's a guy in our church uh, who's, uh, sometimes we go out hiking. There's hills where we live. And um, he's not so super expressive at church. But it's kind of funny. Sometimes we're out there and he says, That means, uh, what does that mean? Um, it means, uh, thank you, Lord. Yeah, it's, it's starting to switch to Chinese now. But, um, Thank you, know, praise God, this kind of thing, you know. And I do that too sometimes now. I see, the, I see nature. I can appreciate it more now than I used to. You see the beauty of the sun and the blue sky and the green grass and green trees. And just like, praise God. It's awesome. It's the work of God. See, if you have an atheist background, if you say there is no God and there is life, so it just happened by itself, so any beauty in nature, well, it just isn't nature wonderful. Isn't evolution wonderful? But we Christians say no. 
Jesus is wonderful. So because of that, these are the things that if you believe them, if you believe the things of the world, well, what's going to happen? It saps your strength. You kind of think Jesus might be my truth, but he's not the truth. That's the difference. I might like Jesus, but you might not. It's like me wearing this, this kind of shirt, and you wear a different color shirt. I can't tell you. You must wear this kind of shirt because it's just the best way. I can't say that. But I can say, you need to believe in Jesus because it's the only way. He's the only way. We can. And if you believe what's in the world, it saps your strength. And just like the word says, you go off to the side. I've got too many other things here, and I'm just going to skip a few things. But the scientists are saying, this is an Oxford study, rational ones, finally, they're saying, there is no one else out there. Uh, no, nothing else is out there because odds are against it. Science has finally caught up to reality. And so there, people who are actually thinking about it are going to say, no, there's nothing else. It's just us. So we are special. I'm going to skip this here. So we need to understand, uh, 10 years ago, uh, New Scientist magazine, a very decidedly anti-Christian publication from England, they put this out. Darwin was wrong. Maybe some of you have read about the tree of life. They think that we started off as, as gook, pond scum, basically, and you know, kind of worked our way up, and some things branched out to animals and some plants, and you know, we're somewhere on the top, and we're just this big, huge tree of life. 10 years ago, almost, they came out with this article, Darwin was wrong. Bec why? Because genetics are getting better and better. And they're saying, no, it's not obvious that, it, that there's a connection there. It, it was all, we can't find the connections anymore. So if you're being taught this in school or university or whatever, I suggest, if you're bold, take out your cell phone, hold it up, where's my hand? Just hold it up and show them that. And show the teacher that and say, you know, uh, 10 years ago, the scientists over at New Scientists said they don't believe this anymore, what's in the book. Why are you still teaching it? And if they say, what, do you want to be, are you religious or something? Are you some kind of creationist? And you say, I want to talk about science. You're talking about religion. But no, it's not true. So many of us have been brainwashed. You see this in textbooks. You see it on TV shows. And you think, well, it must be true because the smart guys believe it. They don't so much believe it anymore, but they don't have anything else because they don't want to admit that there is, there, is, uh, there is a God. Junk DNA was the last one I want to talk about. Uh, some of you know that about, 15, about 18, 19 years ago, when we, they found out the human genome, they discovered it, they were able to sequence it, they came up with a very unhappy discovery. They said only about 2% of our DNA actually works. The other 98% is junk. That was a really good uh, vindication in their minds of, of evolutionism. They say we've been around for hundreds of millions of years, and all this DNA junk has just accumulated, and that's why. And I'm reading people saying, you Christians think in creationism. If your God is so good, so, such an awesome creator, why did he make most of our DNA junk? I'll answer that in a second. Um, you see this here? Maybe you can't see. Oh, that's next one, please. Sorry. I, I forgot to tell you. There we go. What does that look like to you? Can anybody read that? OK, most of you know this is obviously Chinese. Now, to the Westerner, you look at that and you think, it's all Greek to me. It's actually Chinese. But uh, uh, you can't read it. But this is what I wrote on my last blog before we came to, Ty uh, before we came to the United States. So I do this like four times a week, about 500, 500 characters. And I give that to the people in our church. 
and they also put it on the internet. Every one of those characters has meaning. Every stroke has meaning. If you cut some of them out, the meaning would, might go away a little bit, but you might still get it. But once you know how to read, then you understand it has meaning. So when it comes to our genetic code, for, to our DNA, when you learn how to read, sorry, when you learn how to read the genetic code, well, then you know it's not junk anymore. And scientists stopped being arrogant because they realized, oh, it all has meaning. Exactly what you would expect if God created it. Everything that's in you has meaning. Every piece of genetics, every, all those thousands of genes, they all have function. Even the size, even the placement has function. So I said, like I said, if you're considering a, a career in this, this is the lifetime to do it because there's so much being discovered. So much of the awesomeness of God's creation, of the super high technology that is life. So I call it God tech. This here on my hand, this is a wedding ring. This is low-level man tech. This is slightly higher-level man tech. But what's under my watch, the simplest cells, all the viruses, anything that's there is God tech. It's much more complex than we could ever make. So false knowledge is something that we need to stop. And this is why the Bible says, in uh, ESV version, it says, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So because of that, because we reject fake science, because we reject fake teachings, we have no fear. God has not given us a spirit of, of timidity or a fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. God wants you to live that way. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to, in his name, pray for people. So I suggest, if you believe in Jesus, pray for people and say, can I pray for you? Can I lay my hands on you? Do it. See what happens. I've seen it work. I've seen God work through people in this way where they, it jump starts their faith. I could tell you more stories, but I don't have time. It works that way. It works everywhere in the world that way. It's not just the mission field. This is a mission field, too, and it's increasingly becoming so. Believe in Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the message. One God, one mediator, one life. Don't be ashamed of the suffering that may happen because other people are too narrow to accept the truth of Jesus. It will happen, but it's no shame. So if it happens to someone here in this church, they need you. If their parents or friends or company rejects them because they believe in Jesus. They need you. That's why the church is important. That's why, because we need each other. There's no shame in the gospel. There's no fear in the gospel. May you live that way. Thanks so much for listening. I very much appreciate it. I'm going to close in prayer, please. Lord God,